everyone and welcome to the Financial House Podcast. Today, we have with us Mr. Christopher Lee, CEO and Director of Share Investor. Mr. Christopher Lee is one of the founding members of Share Investor, an internet media and tech company with operations in Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia and Australia. So, Mr. Lee, you started your career at IBM Singapore. What were some of the key takeaways working in the IT and media industry for you? I think I'm very privileged you know, to have the opportunity to uh, work you know, in IBM. You know, uh, very admired, you know, company worldwide, and um, I I learned a lot, you know, working in, in an MNC, uh, things like um, you know respect for the individual, and uh, excellence, you know, in the things we do, and uh, also focus on customers. So, in fact, you know, when I uh, came up um, to start the share investor with some partners back in the two thousand, you know, I brought along actually with some of this uh, basic beliefs and uh, in my opinion some of the best practices you know that uh, I've learned uh, in, when it comes to uh, business management um, people appraiser and you know into the company so I learned a lot during my eight years uh, tenure in the IBM uh, ranges across um, sales management people management or HR training, you know, so, and uh, of course, you know, uh, uh, the values, you know, uh, that uh, the IBM company embraces. Uh, hmm. So Steve Jobs has this famous saying that you can only connect the dots looking backwards. Uh-huh. For yourself, your career, building share investor, do you agree with this? I think I think in life there are, you know, different phases of your life, you know, and uh, I, I see it as a, uh, in IBM, the first eight years was actually you know one major milestone for me, and then in uh, share investor, the initial years another um, uh, milestone because um, we went through the uh, dot com right and uh, promise and the burst, and we really had to struggle for another eight years before we became uh, you know part part of uh, the Singapore Press Holding Group. And then another 10 years, you know, that we were under SPH, which I learned a lot. And uh, before I uh, did the uh, management buyout in uh, November last year. So if you look at it, yeah, you know, there are different um, phases, you know, of uh, my life where, you know, I'm uh, very uh, blessed to be able to uh, kind of like uh, make progress uh, in my uh, career and in my business venture. Yeah, they are all connected, you know, I'm, I, I think, you know, in a way, yeah. So how old were you when you first started investing? And do you remember the first share that you <laughs> I, Actually, when I was working in IBM, I was very, very busy, you know, uh, learning things, you know, like a sponge absorbing, you know. Uh, and uh, I really never thought much about investing then. I really started to, to think about investing only when I uh, started Share Investor. And uh, that is where I learned, you know, uh, a lot about, you know, the different approaches to investing, trading, you know, uh, at different stage of your life. And uh, that was uh, really, you know, an experience. And uh, at that point in time, I uh, was looking at the growth stock, you know, at that stage of my life. Um, I'm a bit more uh, prepared to take risks. So my portfolio then, you know, were all the, you know, companies that are small mid cap that has got uh, a lot of uh, potential for upside that can give me my multi baggers. Uh. So I, I don't remember specifically which stocks that I first bought, but I know that during that period, I was more um, focused actually on uh, 
growth stocks uh, that has got a really an exciting story you know uh, to give me uh, a multiple of the kind of investments I put in uh, currently you know at this stage of my life I'm uh, a bit more so-called um, focus you know on uh, wealth preservation so you know uh, I uh, look at a bit more defensive stocks uh. so I'm into the REITs into the blue chips but I still have uh, some uh, you know growth stock in my portfolio and uh, some of them uh, you know are really not doing that well so I uh, end up holding on to the baby la. yeah you know what I mean right yeah so that's my experience uh. mm. In your investing experience today, what do you think would have been your biggest mistake and any lessons that you had from that? Mm. Investing, biggest mistake. Uh. Mm. I, think, I think investing is a journey, you know, you have to try and if you don't um, try, you won't know. So you can read, you know, you can learn from, uh, you know, others and uh, but nothing bits uh, really you know putting your money down and experiencing that journey you know so um, yes I've learned a lot over the last uh, maybe 20 years or so right that I've been investing uh, there are ups and downs I've got some very good uh, you know returns and uh, of course on the other <laughs> end you know I do have uh, uh, a few investments that really go uh, very bad and uh, you know I end up losing uh, quite a bit of my money yeah at Financial House, we have a lot of young readers who mm -hmm. keep asking us uh, what is the best way to invest, what advice do you have on starting investing? So if I were to pose this question to you, what advice would you give to a 25-year-old Singaporean mm -hmm. investor today who's looking to start investing? Mm. I, I think the first thing that the investors should do at that age is really to be inquisitive and uh, start looking at um, you know the various... Um, approaches to investing you can read uh, you know you can uh, learn from others but like what I say previously you know after you have done that you must take action so you know um, some people actually read a lot and they talk to a lot of people then after that they have formulated certain uh, so-called thinking and then they say okay let's wait and then they go back to their daily routine and they forget to invest so I think you know um, Having the knowledge is important, but taking the first step is even more important. So if you are young, um, you know, uh, working adult um, now, I suggest, you know, you yes, spend some time to really know about different approaches and uh, talk to people and uh, be prepared to set aside money to invest in the market. Okay, whether is it a uh, listed uh, so-called equity, a structured instrument with an underlying, you know, equity, or for that matter, a bond, but take the first step. And uh, you don't have to invest a lot of money, right? Especially when you're just starting off at 25, probably just graduated, and you have got, um, you know, a modest uh, so-called a salary, and you have got so many other things to worry about financially. Uh, but do allocate you know a portion actually of your earnings into investments uh, because the returns over the longer term as proven you know uh, by so many different uh, uh, great investors in the world that actually gives you a, a, a much better return as compared to you do passive saving but for young investors will you recommend that they do stock picking or do they buy a diversified ETF like the STR ETF 
Okay, it really depends on the amount of uh, time or research that you can uh, afford. Lah. For typical investors, you, uh, you will find that you know, they may not have the luxury of uh, time to really analyze. So if you're in that situation, you probably may be better off buying you know, an ETF that uh, the underlying may be, let's say, the, uh, you know, the STI, right? the component stocks. So yes, that's a good, good way to start off. But as you, uh, you know, uh, get more and more well-versed in uh, investing, uh, it will be actually um, encouraged for you to look at um, the sector and then or the macro, the sector, then after that, you know, zoom in into stocks that potentially can give you um, the uh, upside. Um, I think during the uh, time when I was uh, investing, uh, when I was uh, younger, there were so many growth stocks in Singapore that can give me a multiple bagger, right? So I've got some good runs with some of those. But nowadays, you know, it's probably a bit more difficult to identify this uh, multiple baggers. Uh, um, and, uh, but that doesn't mean that there is no such opportunity. It's a question on whether you have the time and the discipline to look into, you know, the market. That's why over in Share Investor, we um, started the Investor One Portal whereby we help um, uh, investors uh, zoom in into the capitalist company. These are stocks listed on the second board. And uh, based on my uh, uh, experience and, and, and also based on what I've seen on the Investor One portal, yeah, there are some uh, pretty uh, interesting and promising stocks that can give you a multiple bagger over you know, a period of time. Yeah. If you can go back in time and give yourself, yeah. your 25-year-old self, one piece of advice, what advice would you give to yourself? I probably would have uh, allocated a bit, a lot, a lot more, actually, of my uh, uh, earning or saving at that point in time into the stock market. Oh, yeah. yeah, because that that was the time whereby we really had a good run. I uh, started share investor in two thousand, together with some partners, and uh, we were first hit with two major uh, crises. One was the dot com burst, then the followed by SARS in 03. Right. So then the market has really been running on hindsight right now we are talking about. So I wish I could have allocated more of my uh, savings or earnings into the stock market. Uh, then I probably would be uh, a lot happier now. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. So how do you plan to set your children up for investing success? Do yeah. you give them any bits of wisdom? I, I have a son, uh, he's 17 this year, uh, about I think was it two years ago, you know, I started talking to him about uh, investing, you know, that was when he was about 15, uh, you know, and uh, I uh, told him, you know, about Share Investor, our business and what we do, how we help investors uh, equip themselves with knowledge and then start investing. So I helped him by uh, encouraging him to, you know, look into investing. So he asked me and said, you know, uh, how do I go about doing that? I say, why don't you use your angpao money and we uh, choose to buy a stock then? So at a point in time, it was during the uh, um, the IPO of, of uh, Netlink Business Trust. Uh. Yeah. So I told him, hey, this is, uh, you look at the business model, you know, and uh, it is in a way, uh, the fiber infrastructure in Singapore and they will have a, a recurring you know, revenue stream. And uh, based on uh, what we read, you know, is that uh, it looks promising when it comes to the dividend payout. So I helped him put in some money and to buy into the stocks. Uh, and um, today the return is uh, pretty decent. Uh, and 
whenever there's a dividend declared, you know, I will, I will give him the money and I'll remind him and say that, hey, you know, this is because of the investment decision you made uh, two years ago. Right? So is he hooked on investing now since Netlink Trust has gone up? A lot. Yeah, yeah. From about the IPO price, I think eighty cents now is about eighty eight cents. For a moment, it was like all the while hovering at about eighty cents. So I can only share with him about, um, you know, dividend, right? But then when it uh, appreciated to eighty eight, eighty nine cents, you know, then it's like uh, you know, there's a topic on capital appreciation. So we can take it further to discuss about you know capital appreciation and dividend. So what is the total return if you do uh, invested in it? So these are some of the things that you know I try to encourage him to look at yeah so now it's like you know when he get he, he get more savings from his pocket money or his angpao money you know I think he will be a bit more uh, interested to look at the next stocks to put the money in yeah wow. yeah that's very impressive yeah I, 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 I how I wish you know somebody would have guided me la, when I was <laughs> younger you know, and uh, but uh, I think um, uh, I learned a lot when I joined share investor and uh, like I say, you know, when I was in IBM, I was so busy, you know, chasing a, the the a career, kind of climbing the corporate ladder that I, I just put my money, uh, you know, in the bank, right? So on hindsight, you know, we could have done more actually with the money that I've saved. Yeah. So actually, on that note, with all that years of experience at share investor at IBM and investing in the markets, what would be one piece of advice, one key lesson that you've learned in all this time? Okay, I, I think if you're talking about investment, right, one yeah. key lessons in investment, right, I think is to really invest into something that you know, okay? That's why one of the uh, phrase we have in investor, uh, in share investor is that invest with knowledge. Uh. So you can start off by, you know, investing, learning by uh, investing in a diversified uh, portfolio through an ETF or, you know, or you want to put money across a few blue chip. I think that that's okay. But you will only get um, a very um, a defined or solid return if you invest with knowledge. And uh, so it is important to know what you are investing into. The company, the management, you know, the prospect. Also to understand that in the event if there are some uh, development, let's say macro development, you know, how is it going to affect the company? So these are things that you need to think through, you know, uh, before you put even more money into that investment you can choose to put a little bit of money into each blue chip that you know uh, let's say uh, uh, not that much or you can choose to put a bit more or in fact a lot more money into something that you really know very well so how you want to approve, uh, approach it is uh, no, I think it differs across individual for me I've learned to say that I will focus now um, although I have, I have a portfolio of uh, uh, some uh, uh, blue chip company, but I am uh, putting um, money into the business that I know a lot. Like for example, in share investor, that's why I did uh, the management buyout because I've been uh, looking at the market, you know, and I've uh, looked at the uh, the services that we deliver here in share investors to our corporate client as well as our retail client. There's tremendous opportunity. I know the business. I know the opportunity. And uh, that is why, you know, I put uh, money into this business. Yeah. So in a way, it's about putting money where you, you believe and not so much about diversification, hedging your bets. It is okay to do, uh, adopt that strategy uh, if you are not, um, if you don't have time really to analyze the market or you don't have the opportunity to really, you know, uh, be exposed to something that you really like and you want to find out, you know, like for example, in my case, 
I have uh, the privilege and, uh, to really work alongside with a very good team over here and with very good customers that are supporting you know, uh, share investor. So I, I have that view and I look at it and I say that is potential and that is why I'm prepared to put in more money. Right? So as compared to if you buy a diversified portfolio of a blue chip, they are very good company. But internally, each of them has their own set of problems, right? Depending on the macros, whether it's in the airline, healthcare, or for that matter, the tech industry. So nothing wrong in diversifying, you know. And uh, especially if you feel that, um, let's say, uh, six to eight percent return is good enough for you. So it really depends on your expectation also, right? If you feel that six to eight percent is good enough for you, I think the REITs market in Singapore will probably be able to deliver that, uh, with a uh, with a pretty um, managed risk in, in your capital preservation, right? But if you are hoping to get, let's say, something in the range of, let's say, 15% or even more than that, right? Then you will probably have to really invest in things that you really know. And of course, the risk level will go up uh, correspondingly. Say, like, for example, in, in, in share investor, so when we did the management buyout, yeah, there is risk associated with it. In fact, the, the risks are you know, is uh, I would say, you know, it's pretty significant, especially with the current state of the market. But of course, equally, you know, the return, right? If we were to uh, get our acts together and execute our strategies as, as per what we I plan with my partners, I think the, the returns will be tremendous. It will be much more than the 6 to 8% that you will get from the, uh, you know, uh, REITs company as an example. So how do I approach it? It will be a combination of both. La. I, um, I, would, I still diversify by putting my money in saving. I also put my money in the uh, a blue chip and I put my, uh, most of my money into a business that I can, uh, I can manage and I can see huge potential. Yeah. So in a way, I'm di diversified also. It's just the different quantum. La. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Thanks for sharing your no worries, yeah. investment strategy. As CEO of Share Investor, what do you think will be the dominant theme for investing in Southeast Asia over the next 10 to 15 years? 10 to 15 years? Uh, well, that's a, that's a long time to uh, kind of like foresee. I think today the market cycles are much shorter. But I would say that, you know, in the next uh, maybe three to five years, you know, that the ASEAN uh, potential, you know, is still there. It is still a tremendous investing opportunity for investors in this region. Um, with the likes of uh, you know the uh, Thai market and the Indonesian market being uh, you know very exciting, uh, you may like to know that that over the last five years the Thai market has really grown significantly. You know in terms of uh, you know its uh, market cap and the volume of trade. You know, um, so I still see that there will be investment opportunity on the equity market side. Uh, in uh, ASEAN, particularly in uh, Thailand and in Indonesia. Now, um, Singapore, I think, as a you know, as a financial hub, right, and uh, as a key capital markets whereby we attract a lot of uh, foreign direct investment, it is um, in a way I would say more mature as compared to uh, the rest of the uh, ASEAN market. So Singapore will still has its attractiveness, like for example the REITs uh, company and uh, some of the blue chips. But when it comes to um, you know a growth company you know as compared to maybe Thailand or Indonesia, I think Singapore will be a bit lacking in that sense. Uh. So it really depends on what will be your investment appetite. If you want steady blue chip return, Singapore still 
give a very good uh, you know selection of stocks but if you're hoping for well, a multiple bagger you know a high growth company Singapore will probably have limited opportunity as compared to those that I've seen in Indonesia and Thailand yeah and Vietnam you know is something that is also very exciting I just came back from uh, a trip in Hanoi just uh, two days ago and uh, I can see that the uh, uh, people there are very hungry very fast-paced very IT savvy so there will be an opportunities actually for investment in Vietnam the question is like um, whether with the infrastructure you know and the processes you know be ready actually for investors to uh, go in um, in the next couple of years uh, because the foreign direct investments are going in really so investors as individual investors how do you assess the market there what are some of the proxies that you can use I think that is an area that investors can uh, look into but um, I'm not saying that you should jump in immediately I think they still probably will require a couple more years uh, before you know it will be a bit more open to uh, uh, retail investors foreign retail investors going into their market yeah Actually, your point on the Thai market was very interesting because a lot of our readers are interested to invest in either the Thai market or the Vietnam market. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can elaborate a bit more about your advice for an investor who wants to invest in Thailand or, or maybe something like Vietnam, like you mentioned. Okay. Over the last um, 13 years, I've, we have been doing business in, in Thailand uh, and uh, I've looked at the growth of the uh, capital market and the returns that he has given to investors uh, probably you know is something that is uh, uh, enviable I would say and um, the other things that you know investors should know is that when we invest in foreign markets there is always this um, currency you know risk that uh, we have to uh, live with uh. and one thing good about a Thai market if you look at the Thai baht over the last 10 years or so it has been very very stable against the same dollars uh. So when it comes to currency risk, you know, the Thai market or the Thai uh, authorities have kind of like given uh, that confidence to investors that the uh, currency is very stable. And if you look at the number of uh, listings in, in Thailand and what are those companies, you know, uh, you'll be amazed that these are not international companies going to Thailand to list and, you know, and these are companies that are local, domestic companies that are you know um, that's grown over the years fluid by uh, local consumption so you know we are talking about an average of 30 to 40 listings per year in Thailand and these are good domestic companies that have grown significantly so I think you know the uh, investors should first get an account open whether with a local brokers you know or international broker that can assess the Thai market and you got to make sure that your cost of trade is kept low and with the stability of the currency, I think uh, you can do a lot more uh, research, whether it's Singapore companies, Thai companies, or for that matter, Vietnamese companies, you must do research. You need to have access to um, information. That is why in Share Investor Business, we have the market data tool set, the Share Investor Station and Web Pro, so that you can assess all the um, seven major market that we provide information on. Um, so I think, you know, investors, uh, if you're keen in Thai market, first uh, get yourself uh, equipped with the knowledge uh, on which are the Thai uh, companies. Uh, and that, then again, when you invest, it is the same, you know, whether it's in Thailand, Singapore, or for that matter, the US. You have to look at the business proper, you have to look at the management, you look at the prospect, and uh, you've got to read the annual report, 
right? And uh, we're going to look at the, the, the returns over the, the historical returns. So all this will factor into your, your, your research. Uh. And of course, uh, in today's uh, day and age, you know, um, the social media plays also a very big role uh, in, uh, in educating investors uh, on the potential of uh, you know, uh, the companies. So companies like yourself, Financial Horse is doing a great job in helping investors to get to know more about companies or approaches to investments. There are other social media and blogs whereby they also educate investors. So yeah, some of this uh, you can uh, uh, supplement your personal research with some of this comment, you know, and then before you make your investment, right? So that applies uh, whether it's in Thailand, Singapore, or for that matter, Vietnam and Indonesia. Yeah. If you can only make one investment for the rest of your life, what investment would that be? <laughs> I think I've already made that investment when I did the management buyout. Yeah. So that was about six months ago when I bought back share investor from Singapore Press Holding. Yeah. Fair enough. Actually on that point, since you've done this management buyout, maybe you can tell us a bit more about your plans for share investor moving forward. We started off with the vision that we want to leverage the uh, internet, you know, to uh, level the playing field. Uh, for retail investors uh, primarily. When we um, build platforms or we use technology to differentiate ourselves, we always keep this in mind, which is the provision of information. So if you look at our business right now, it can be broadly divided into three core areas. One is the investor relations services that we provide for the public listed company, the digital aspect of it. And second is the provision of market data tools so as to empower uh, investors, in this case, primarily retail investors and some uh, high net worth individuals to uh, you know, look at all the, uh, uh, the data and information pertaining to a public listed company. And last but not least is actually the investors education business. So uh, the likes of the Invest Fair, uh, the REIT Symposium and a few more thematic events that uh, we will be doing. You know. So if you look at the three business uh, lines, we actually are providing information to uh, either for the public listed company to communicate their investment merit or for the investors to get more um, uh, timely updated information on the public listed company. So this is really to facilitate um, investors to make a choice. In fact, our vision is to empower investors to make a choice. So uh, we will continue to uh, work, work on that. After the MBOs, there are a lot of things that need to be done. We have to run very fast. Uh, and that is why um, I have uh, fixed my uh, expansion plan into the regional countries. In this case, uh, Indonesia and uh, Vietnam. We already have presence in Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Thailand, as well as uh, Australia. So we just started off our Indonesia operation only in mid of uh, last year. That's why I think there's a lot of potential in there. Uh, and now that the political leadership there has stabilized, I think you know we just have to, you know, make sure that we run very fast there. Vietnam, I think you know, is also in another very exciting market. That's why we are really exploring opportunities to work with partners in new markets like Vietnam. It is going to be very difficult for us to start on our own. So a partnership approach is definitely preferred. So I think. That will be uh, something that will keep me very busy for the next couple of years. Uh. Right. I actually wanted to talk a bit more about the market data business because mm. these days there's a lot of competition from mm. guys mm. like Bloomberg and mm. Thomson Reuters mm. under mm. Uh, Blackstone now. Mm. How do you guys see share investor fitting into this picture? Okay. Good, good question. The, the, the market data business can be divided into maybe one end of the spectrum you have the likes of Bloomberg and Thomson Reuters. Uh. 
their customer segment are actually the institutional. So you know the likes of um, you know corporates, you know hedge funds, and uh, in fact even private equities, you know family offices, they probably may use all this terminal. And on the other extreme, you will find you know the uh, brokers, you know uh, providing free platform, you know uh, to facilitate a uh, trade. Now, so there's in between you know the segment whereby investors need more uh, than what the brokers can provide for free, and uh, but. They probably would not need the kind of uh, complexity that the uh, Thomson Reuters and the Bloomberg's uh, offer. So what we do is that we fill that information gap, you know, for investors, whereby we provide um, investors with uh, a lot more information as compared to what the brokers are providing. Uh, such as, uh, you know, beside the fundamental and the trading data, we also have the consensus, and um, I think um, that is how we position the product. And the other way I see it is that you know the uh, the broking is probably going to be a commodity in time to come because when the market opened up, when I first started off, the cost of trade is maybe forty basis point. Now the cost of trade is probably ten basis point, right? Forty basis point. Yeah. So I mean, you have seen how the industry have consolidated, right? Recently, it was announced that DBS Vickers has decided to kind of like consolidate the operation back into. DBS uh, Bank. So there will be more consolidation in the broking industry and broking as a business I would say that it's going to be a, a bit more, in fact a lot more challenging. Okay, as um, Singapore as a financial hub will probably move towards what uh, you know the we see it as uh, asset under management. So there's a lot of talk on uh, wealth management and that's why you know relationship manager are in demand and to serve the client. So Broking as it is may probably just be one aspect of uh, wealth management to facilitate the client to you know kind of trade, but there's so many other aspects in uh, wealth management. So back to the question of market data, how do we position it? We have to keep on working on ensuring that our product um, is uh, of top quality. Whether is it you know uh, the uh, timeliness of it and the accuracy of the data. And um, also the other element is uh, the education aspect of it. By providing a platform, unless you are somebody like an analyst or for that matter, a uh, fund manager, you probably would know how to use the platform. That's why you buy a, or you subscribe to a Bloomberg or a Reuters terminal. So that's quite second nature to you. Um, but for general retail investors who have got some basic knowledge, they will say, yes, I subscribe. But then again, what does a volume distribution mean? What does a consensus uh, estimate by, you know, let's say 19 houses on SIA mean? So all this information, we will have to help them to uh, interpret, right? And um, of course, you know, some of them even ask me, my, my, my close friends and partners say, Chris, why don't you move into research and even help some of this, uh, your, your customers, you know, or your retail investors uh, by providing them research report. So I have consciously decided not to move into that space uh, and I provide currently uh, um, fundamental, technical, consensus and uh, uh, timely news uh, on my platform uh, for my uh, subscribers right? with the exception of research. I think there are sufficient research out there. Uh, not that the research are, are, are not good, it's just that sometimes the research report are too detail for an average investors to read. That is why I, I think that the consensus uh, 
it's probably going to be a bit more appropriate for uh, typical research investors. Uh, not too sure whether you have uh, used our systems on uh, yes, and tried the consensus estimate. Basically, this is an aggregation of all the views uh, from the various houses that are, that are covering you know, some of the larger company. Right? And uh, also the other one is that for one line of our business, which is the uh, investor relations. So we help the corporate client actually, you know, to leverage on the internet to communicate their investment merit. So by dissemination, by ensuring that their websites are updated. So I've consciously also decided not to go into research because there may be potential interest, a uh, conflict of interest uh, if we were to do it. Yeah, I can't imagine if I help them with their digital uh, investor relations and I have to do a sell call on them, right? So that is why uh, I think uh, our our market data platform has got all the essential information except for um, you know our own so-called research report. Uh, but we have no problem in you know aggregating other houses' research report onto our platform. Yeah, thanks for sharing. You raised an interesting point earlier on about the future of Singapore being asset under management, uh, private banking, wealth management, things like that. Mm. So there's been a lot of reports about how the IPO market and the retail trading market in Singapore is on the downtrend. What what are your thoughts on something like this? Mm. I think the uh, the uh, the Singapore capital market, you know, currently is uh, undergoing quite a bit of uh, change. I think that SGX is trying to do a lot of things in order to promote, uh, you know, new listings and to uh, arrest, you know, the the listing. Um, the in fact, I mentioned about the investor one. This is uh, a collaboration between us and SGX and uh, two industry partners in this case uh, prime partners and sac to create a portal to educate you know the market on uh, you know the potential of investing in the, the capitalist company the growth stocks so the exchange is doing a lot of things actually to help to you know promote the market but the, the challenge we have you know as a financial hub is that there are you know competing um, elements around the region say in hong kong uh, whereby, you know, the uh, investors can give a better multiple. I think this one is quite, 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 uh, you know, I would say uh, clear that if you are uh, investors or for that matter, if you are a company that wants to list, where will you be considering? So all these are, you know, uh, challenges that we face. And um, it's not an easy problem for the exchange or the MAS to, uh, you know, uh, I would say resolve. But I think, um, you know, at least the exchange, they are aware of the problem. In fact, Bloomberg just reported, was it yesterday or today, that an average of two delisting uh, per month on the Singapore exchange. So if you look at it, wow, you know, that is actually uh, something that uh, we are pretty concerned about because our business is closely tied actually to the state of the uh, capital market. And... Um, I think the economy has gone through quite a bit of uh, a change. If you look at the good old days when Singapore can attract, I would say I've seen close to 80 listings uh, a year. That was probably before the GFC in 2008. That was the, that was a good old day where we can attract this number of listings. Uh, but right now, I think moving forward, you know, this will probably be history. We won't be seeing that number of uh, listings uh, in Singapore. We will probably see a, uh, you know fewer listing, but these are maybe more solid companies like the recent listing of the Eagles, 
the ARA right and a prime so these are all big you know companies with a set base and coming here to leverage on our uh, REITs regime in order to reach out to uh, uh, investors and um, I think Singapore should capitalize on its strength and our uh, REITs has established itself as a, as a, a as an asset class over here whereby we can attract international listing uh, you may even like to know that some of the uh, Thai investors are you know, uh, going through you know, uh, Singapore uh, risk company as a proxy to exposure to US properties. So we do have a role to play and I think our exchange recognize that. And uh, we have to work on this to make sure that we capitalize on our strength. And we do recognize that um, you know, the second board, like the calculus companies, there are some good companies here uh, that are doing good business, but investors just don't know. So I think we will continue to collaborate with the exchange in order to promote these companies. Um, the external forces whereby you know uh, the FDIs, let's say, goes into Hong Kong and they give better valuation. Now that is something that we can't fight, okay? Unless you know uh, we can uh, convince the uh, the uh, companies why listing here is better than listing in Hong Kong. The multiples difference is quite significant. Yeah, that's what I know. So that is why I think uh, we have to really work hard on it. Yeah, not an easy uh, problem to resolve. Uh. Yeah, right. there are certain structural issues in play. Yeah. I think the MAS is aware of it. Yeah, I mean the dual class share was a uh, very good example some years back. What well, a big debate, you know. But the market just move on when you're not ready to address, you know, uh, this uh, dual class shares in risk, right? So, but we are what we are for probably the kind of governance that we have. I remember way back in. Uh, 2003 wow that was a while ago whereby one of the Cambodia casino wants to get listing here in Singapore it's called Naga Corp so at that point in time top of the town big you know Cambodia listing in SGX but I think uh, our authorities here will also be careful you know because uh, we have a responsibility to safeguard you know investor money so I think eventually that listing uh, the authorities did not approve it lah. yeah on hindsight I thought yeah pretty good decision yeah so yeah, we have uh, we have established ourselves as a, 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 a city state whereby we are a financial hub and we have certain rules and regulations that uh, we adhere to. So I think we just have to let the you know the authorities um, make those decisions. But as a financial intermediary, share investor will work with the regulators and the authorities to promote Singapore as a financial hub. Uh, uh, specifically in the promotion of uh, listed uh, instruments. Uh, yeah. Okay, so with all these issues in play, from the perspective of a Singaporean retail investor who mm. just wants to invest, make some money, how do you advise them to navigate this kind of changing climate? Do they focus more on REIT and dividend stocks in Singapore and use other jurisdictions for growth stocks? Or okay, if... Um, if you are, uh, I would I would say that to answer your questions, it depends on which stage of the the investing life cycle you are at, and also uh, what is your risk the tolerance. Um, and average investors in Singapore probably you know would be uh, better off if you uh, choose to park some money you know in a, a blue chip, whether is it you know our Singapore blue chip or the Ritz and some money in the uh, uh, growth stocks here in Singapore, there are still some uh, good opportunities. But learn uh, from ex um, investing in other countries, right? 
in, in today's environment, we are really you know borderless when it comes to investment. So as long as you identify you know the so-called the the processes, the structure, and the risk and the currency fluctuation, I think an average investor should allocate a portfolio in uh, into this three uh, bucket, whereby you should uh, have some exposure in the uh, the blue chip, have some exposure in the uh, growth stock in Singapore, and the growth stock actually in the the region. Yeah. But as to how much you should allocate into it really depends on your um, probably your, your investment appetite and also your experience in investing. So for me right now, I probably will be uh, allocating uh, a lot more in the uh, blue chip and uh, the Singapore growth company and the uh, overseas growth company, I probably will be allocating a bit less because I have a big focus in, the, you know, in growing my business in uh, the share investor group. So that's that's for me, but it may differ for you and for any other individuals, you know, at different stage of your life. Uh, yeah, but one key lesson is that you must invest uh, in today's environment. If you just based on the, you know your career, you know, I say I want to, I, I want to earn X amount of money and become uh, financially independent. You know, at the age of uh, let's say fifty five, it's going to be very challenging, especially you know uh, with the high cost of living here in Singapore. So. The witch is not going to catch up at a pace at which the cost is catching up here. So therefore, the ability to invest, invest intelligently and empower the knowledge uh, in the longer run will help you, you know, gain financial independence earlier. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. I actually just want to ask a quick question because there's a lot of talk about how there's a global economic slowdown, mm-hmm. how negative mm-hmm. interest rate, uh, government debt around mm-hmm. the world is at record highs. Mm-hmm. With all that in play, do you still advise people to continue investing in this climate? Mm, yes, like I say, if you don't invest, uh, you will have a problem because your dollar can, is, you know, you know about the uh, the uh, the the challenge. If you keep a dollar in the bank, you know, it probably worth half twenty years down the road. So you have to invest. So no matter what the uh, macro uh, environment is, the question is. The timing when you when you see you know uh, some of these things may change for the better and uh, you should invest then or you feel that now it has reached uh, you know the rock bottom and therefore you is a good time to invest so it's a timing issue and uh, the other thing is that I see that because of the QE uh, there are a lot of uh, money in the systems you know so money needs to go somewhere one it needs to go into uh, asset right or if money is just parked in a bank, then a lot of the fund managers will probably not be doing their job. So where would this money goes to in the longer run? You know, it probably will go into different assets, you know, in uh, in the various countries. So investors should know and to, to follow the big money. That's that's how I look at it. So it's a tough, it's a big question. And where are the money going? How is the money flow? You know, and that is why you need to read, you need to find out and you need to take some views uh, rather than to say that you know I just uh, okay la, the ma- macros is like that and therefore I'm going to put my money in the bank and I'm going to do anything about it now if you adopt this mindset uh, it's back to my uh, earlier discussion which is you read and read and read and then after that you know then you say I take no action it's okay to take no action now but when are you going to take action right five years down the road you let your money sit in the bank for five years or I would rather take some of the money you know yeah I, I keep 
for my daily expenses or for that matter my family expenses for six months then what what about the rest of the money where are you going to put it you're going to put everything in all in one shot or you know uh, stage and phase approach uh, those are very important questions that investors need to answer la, right i i think there's no uh, one rule fits all la, right and i don't know how how do you invest now where do you put your money it's broadly similar to what you recommended where there's a huge chunk in growth stocks in the US and then there's a bunch of dividend stocks in Singapore and some growth stocks in Singapore. So it's really split among the three buckets. That's good. That's good. Stock. Then you're on the right track. La. You're <laughs> on the right track. La. It's good to know. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's good that you, uh, you know, you started financial horse and uh, you help investors uh, gain access to, uh, you know, more views so as to uh, help them, you know, make their investment decision. Uh. We are living in a digital age, you know. Can you imagine 20 years ago, uh, you probably, investors don't have access to this kind of views, you know, information or opportunities. Uh. They are probably trailing behind the, I would say, the institutional investors who typically would have access to information much earlier, you know, quicker because of the dissemination of information. But with the arrival of the internet, that has leveled the playing field. Uh, and therefore, it's a question of whether the individual investors make an effort actually to really study, understand and take the first step. Yeah. yeah absolutely agree. Yeah. Okay, we've, we've come to the end of this Financial Horse podcast, but before we end off, if you mm. can sum up your advice to a 25-year-old investor <laughs> in one sentence, what would that sentence be? 25 years old? Uh? Yeah. Mm. Invest with knowledge. Take the first step. One sentence. Thank you. <laughs> That's a great advice. <laughs>